right, glad you're with us. And uh, write down our toll-free telephone number. Thank you, Scott Shannon. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. When Linda gets wound up on an issue, and she is wound up on the Royals, I might do a segment, short segment on TV tonight about it, etc. Look, if what she said is true, and the idea that questions surrounding the... Uh, the the baby and race is all accurate. I mean, that's just that that is tragic. It is sad, a sad commentary on on the royals and their house, et cetera. You know, the intramural squabble that took place between Kate and Megan means nothing to me. Though this to me sounds like millionaire problems. You know what we have right now, and and racism is a real problem. If that whole story is true, I, I'm, I'm I was as shocked as Oprah was listening to that last night. But I look at this country right now, and I see people still, 17 million of our fellow Americans, out of work. We have now people getting pink slips because of the stroke of a pen, because of a radical agenda of Joe Biden. I see the biggest waste, fraud, and abuse in our country's history with this $1.9 trillion fiasco disaster that they're selling as emergency covid relief i see draconian shutdowns even continuing in states like kentucky at this point serious allegations of of we have two women now who have come forward more women in the cuomo case in new york um i see blue state governors now about to get the biggest red state to blue state bailout transfer of funds ever in history and it all makes me angry and I see the country headed in the wrong direction. My, my biggest folk and wide open borders, wide open. And people basically come on in. Oh, don't come right. Don't come now, but come. And they're all coming. And for all the talk about the need for mask mandates and social distancing and everything from Joe Biden, the guy that lectures us on masks, leaves the podium without a mask to shake hands with other people. You know, I really don't feel like hearing his lectures nor seeing the video that we showed you in our investigative report last week at the border where where literally people are not socially distant and they're not wearing masks and the catch and release is back and open borders are wide open. It's never been this bad. You know, I I understand the the real problems with the with the hierarchy and the royals and the monarchy. It's never been the greatest interest of mine. And but it is for many others. And I understand. I mean, those were shocking allegations. I don't know who to believe. I don't know what to believe. I don't follow it enough. I'm not educated on it enough. I thought these were shocking allegations that they will have to deal with. That's that's all between them. But at the end of the day, you're dealing with a a whole groups of very wealthy people that aren't dealing with the prospect of not being able to send their kids to college or losing their job, or losing their home, and losing their livelihood because of the new Green Deal, nor the burden that we're putting on future generations with monies. You know, not only do we have 17 million Americans still out of work with the pandemic, well, now we're going to legalize up to 15 million people, and we're saying, come on in, and we've instituted catch and release, and we stopped building the border wall, and we're destroying the, the the energy sector, the lifeblood of the world's economy, and gas prices are already going through the roof. 
Gas prices expected to skyrocket as U.S. oil production has plunged. California now three seventy-five a gallon. In some parts of the state, it's now top four bucks a gallon. Here we go. The money to heat your home is about to go through the roof. The money to cool your home is about to go through the roof as the summer months are upon us. And still, you know, the Democratic governors are having a hard time figuring out how to distribute the Trump vaccines in an orderly fashion like they're doing it down in Florida, like they're doing it in Mississippi and Texas and South Dakota. And it is frustrating the living daylights out of me. Um, but Linda's, you you still you still worked up about. It. I got it. I no, I'm not going to put about you on the, that. Can I make a comment about that? I care thing? about Americans right now. I want them to get back to work. No, that's, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the truckloads of oil because you know it's very interesting. I was reading something this weekend, and they were talking about how the oil was going through Maine and Massachusetts, coming from Russia, being shipped in. So you got. All of the waste coming across our oceans, then you've got it coming on truckloads throughout the entire country instead of just coming internally from the Bakken or the Keystone XL. It's complete insanity. It, 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 and these, this, listen, this, this is now these policies are hurting Americans, and it's only the tip of the iceberg. It is only the beginning. I, I, I don't think people are quite understanding this yet. You know, you now, by the way, not only are gas prices up, heating prices up, African-American unemployment is now soaring under Joe Biden. But and not only that, Sean, we got a further point. The whole idea about this is that we want to go green, right? How are we going green with all these trucks on the road? We're making Russia it's rich again, Linda. 100%. China we're making says today the they're going to beat us. countries that hate us rich again. We're making Iran rich again. We're making China rich again. We're making America poor. And it's like we have the greatest resources right here in this country to be energy independent. We prove we can do it. And we're literally taking our greatest financial asset and we're and 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 now we're going to import it all and pay through the nose for it. And we're losing high paying career jobs on top of it. I feel like I'm the only one screaming about it because I'm apoplectic. This is this is the heart and soul. You want to get to what makes America great? Those guys that work in the energy sector, they make America great. They lower the prices at the pump. They lower the price to heat your home. They lower the price to cool your home. That is like a huge, massive tax cut. And in the process, they work their asses off and they get six figure salaries for really hard, difficult jobs with tons of overtime and tons of travel around the around the entire country. They're just they're all fired now. You know, I watched I was reading this weekend. Want to talk about wide open borders? They, literally, you, you've got these sheriffs now saying, you know, we're getting five or six groups a day crossing in the exact stop and with the exact location where the fence stopped being built. Okay, they're bypassing the fact that we're not finishing the fence. And Arizona's sheriff's blaming Joe Biden's decision. Stop construction. Trump border wall. Well, tens of thousands of illegal immigrants are now pouring into the country every week because they know they're going to get their amnesty. And, oh, how convenient in three years, just in time for the next election. So they're accommodating. Now they're finally admitting that there's a little problem going on. 
Biden's still separating migrant children from family members. We still can't get in the cargo containers with the tiny windows with bars on them that we're told have beautiful butterflies on the wall to even get a look and see what it looks like inside the the cargo containers. Imagine Donald Trump stuck kids in shipping cargo containers. Uh, the Border Patrol has no authority to test migrants for COVID. Did you know that? The Department of Homeland Security won't test all the people that they're catching before releasing them into the United States. But we're all getting lectured that we better mask and social distance. I mean, you cannot. Ted Cruz tried to stop this weekend and his vote-a-thon stimulus checks for illegal immigrants or they try to stop. You know, now they're applying Obamacare for illegal immigrants in this country. Texas Governor Abbott is saying literally Biden is letting COVID into the U.S. at the southern border. You've got to end the scheme now, the governor of Texas said. Democrats rejected an effort to prevent stimulus checks from going to both prisoners and illegal immigrants. Wow. I, I, I just, you know, what, what is this? You know, what, what is going on here? How is it possible that the lecturing energy sector workers, they got fired. Oh, no, we want you to get other union jobs. Well, how are they going to get those jobs when you have 17 million Americans out of work with a pandemic? You're shutting down the biggest sector of high paying career jobs in the energy field. And then you got amnesty now coming to 15 million other people. Well, what, what do you think happens to wages? Supply, demand, crisscross dictates the price. And that means wages are going to go down in the sewer. Forget about the minimum wage. There are people that will work if you're here illegally below the minimum wage, whatever the number happens to be. And those will be jobs that Americans won't be getting that otherwise probably would pay a lot more. And then now I'm not even discussing the drug problem at the southern border because that's as real as everything, too. By the way, Biden, though, he's working hard. He's now establishing a new gender policy council. By the way, parents are really up in arms. I'm not paying attention to all this stuff. But now that that, for example, gender neutrality does have an impact on girls sports, which has been impacted by what's called Title IX, that ensures that that girls get the same number of scholarships as boys in the in in sports and other and other scholarships, you know, considering that most of the football teams uh, at schools, they don't have a woman's football team at most colleges. Okay. So they have to have an equal number of scholarships for girls and other sports. And then if, if somebody, again, I'm, I just, a lot of parents are furious about it because they're saying that's going to take away scholarships um, from ath- girls that play, you know, whatever athletic sport they happen to play. Anyway, the Department of Education has curbed the decision on race-based affinity groups. All of this happening. It's, it is. Oh, and Biden, by the way, is too busy, Jen Psaki said. She's, she's too busy with historic crises to hold the press conference. Too busy. What do you mean it's too busy to communicate with the American people and the media mob? They just give Biden the pass on no press conference. We might get his first State of the Union address, his first speech. He signs an order that's meaningless because H.R. 1, hopefully Joe Manchin over the weekend. I didn't like what Joe Manchin had to say 
Now it looks like he's being pressured by Schumer and company to give in on the filibuster. Well, I'm, I'm not I'm in favor of the, keeping the filibuster, the legislative filibuster, but it should be much harder to do. I'm like, OK, what's the caveat? What's the catch? Uh, Joe Manchin sounds like Joe Manchin is beginning to buckle. And if that's the case, those draconian H.R. one. You know, voting for felons, automatic registration, no voter ID, all votes by mail is is going to be the law of the land. Oh, and they also included in that something that nobody really picked up. They included that any constitutional challenge to H.R. 1, because our U.S. Constitution very clearly states the authority is within the the realm of state legislatures deciding the means, place, time of voting in their specific states. Well, if you want to challenge the constitutionality of that, they're trying to literally write into the law that you can only challenge it through the D.C. Circuit Court system. In other words, the radical left D.C. Circuit Court system. <laughs> you can't even make this up. That's how bad things are going to be. You know, what did I say? Yep. America and the world on the brink. You know, it's funny. People are asking me, well, what do you think about the Royals? I, I, do I think it's true? I think it's probably true. Linda's looking at me like shaking her head. She has no idea. But the point is, uh, I don't know. I don't. I suspect that, unfortunately, there are ignorant people in this world. Unfortunately, something that horrific could exist in this world that people think so ignorantly. And that's why whenever the charge is made every two or four years, Republicans are racist, sexist, misogynist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you know, now they're saying transphobic. They want dirty air and water and want to kill grandma. No, I don't want anything to do with any of those people ever, ever. And I, you know, the people I know for whatever reason, the people of Great Britain and seems like I guess over 18 million people watched this thing last night, which is a very high television number. Um, Americans have always been and seem to be in all these different shows, The Crown, et cetera, fascinated by all of this. Um, And I guess there's great interest in it. I just I care about America. I like America. Let's worry about Americans. I am extremely worried about Americans out of work. I'm looking at a Yahoo News piece out today. The black unemployment rate in our country, the United States of America, even as most other Americans saw a decline in joblessness, underscoring the labor market recovery is uneven. But the unemployment for African-Americans went up to 9.9%, the highest among all race groups that are tracked according to the labor department and this these numbers came out friday the overall u.s jobless rate fell 6.2 percent to 6.2 with uh white americans hispanic americans asian american workers seeing declines i want more record low unemployment set for every demographic like donald trump had going pre-covid for African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, Asian-Americans. It's not going to happen when you have when you add 15 million additional people with amnesty or if you keep these draconian shutdowns with 17 million people out of work. 25 to the top of the hour. This is a very cool story. Linda sent me this story. She doesn't really care about royals either. Uh, there's a McDonald's employee 
who turned 100 and has no plans to retire. Says age is just a number. How cool is this? Turning 100 may be reason enough for many to adopt a slower pace of life, but not for a Pennsylvania McDonald's employee. McDonald's employee uh, turned 100 on March 3rd. No plans to ever retire. I get paid. I pay my bills, and that's good. I never had a lot of money, but I always have enough. She works at this, uh, it's called Irwin McDonald's in Westmoreland County, three days a week wiping tables. Anyway, to me, it's just a number, she said. And she's become well-known at the popular eatery, the site of a Big Mac museum for her smiles, songs, and dancing. Became a widow when she was 50. Been working ever since. And I like working. On Fridays, about 30 come, and we all they sing in the McDonald's. By the way, I know people don't believe me. I love McDonald's. Love it. I love a quarter pounder with cheese. I love, I love their french fries and a Coke. There's nothing better. Well, I like White Castle, too. And I like Wendy's, too. Their, their quarter with single and cheese. I like, I like both of their. I love all the french fries. I don't eat it that much. I can't eat. I mean, as I get older, it sucks. I just can't. Uh, you know, our friend Piers Morgan. I happen to like Piers Morgan. I just do. I mean, and, you know, we competed against each other for a while. And he didn't do very well lecturing Americans on the Second Amendment. He's, he's apoplectic over this interview. Apoplectic. He has the number one morning show in Great Britain. I'm happy for him. I'm sickened by what I've had to watch. Calling it a two-hour trash-a-thon of our royal family or monarchy of everything the Queen has worked so hard for. While her husband is in the hospital and he's just getting started. Anyway, so he has this other guy on and who noted the apparent hypocrisy of how the royal family family has ostensibly protected Prince Andrew amid these allegations of being connected to Jeffrey Epstein and maybe having sex with underage girls, or he called, as Heber said, quote, raping minors on morning television. They just got into it. Quote, I think Morgan says what you said about the Queen is disgusting. I think it's unbelievable. Then the guest said, I think you're disgusting. Good morning, Britain. Morning, everybody. Hope everything's fine. Man, oh, man. I th- Listen, there are horrible people that have horrible beliefs in this world. There are. That doesn't surprise me. I don't know. Maybe as I, you know, I, I feel like, you know, when you run into horrible people, you just do everything you can do to, to stay as far away from them as you can. But I have no way of knowing the truth of or whatever of this whole thing. I know they all are millionaires. And it's like, and I, I know the people of Great Britain pay a ton of money. We're watching very closely the first trial. Derek Chauvin on trial for the murder of George Floyd. We'll have more on that later. Uh, a lot of this is going to come down to the cause of death. The medical examiner concluding he, that Floyd da- died from cardiopulmonary arrest, basically cardiac arrest, while the officers restrained him. He did have arterial sclerosis and hypertensive heart disease, and there was fentanyl in his system and evidence of recent methamphetamine use. Um, But as a martial artist, I can tell you that the most vulnerable part of the human anatomy is your neck. You can't put that much pressure and pin somebody's face into the pavement like that for seven minutes and 46 seconds, which is what happened. And uh, it's going to, but, you know, you have to be careful in these cases, too, 
because if they end up overcharging, now it looks like they're going to allow the jury to have numerous options, which means they, they, my opinion, based on what I see and all the evidence, the tape doesn't lie. So that's pretty irrefutable to me. Um, they're going to have options as to what it is that they might convict on. So we'll, we'll watch it closely. Uh, Greyhound Bus Company is now demanding that the Biden administration test illegal immigrants for COVID before they board their buses. The fact that they're not doing this is pretty unbelievable. We have 185 people that have tested positive in, in Brownsville, Texas alone. And Greyhound Bus Company is right because they have they have customers they've got to protect. And there's no social distancing and there's no mask wearing. And in some cases, there's no test giving. And by the way, Biden is now being sued by 12 states over his climate change executive order. There's going to be a flurry of these lawsuits in the days and weeks to come. One thing I didn't know about H.R. 1, it's look, 791 pages. So, you know, there's a lot of crap in it. Start there. This is the bill that would allow felons to vote, that will allow automatic registration to vote, that would allow and institutionalize mail-in ballots in perpetuity. This is the one that would unconstitutionally usurp the authority written into our Constitution for state legislatures to determine the time and manner of elections in their individual states. So I don't think it's going to be Constitution. One of the things they do is they're going to try and mandate in this bill if Manchin buckles on the on the filibuster, it's a problem that would mandate any lawsuit challenging the constitutionality of H.R. 1 could only be filed in the district court for the District of Columbia. And all plaintiffs would be required to file joint papers or to be represented by a single attorney at oral argument. I mean, sorry, that's ridiculous. They're mandating no voter ID mandating automatic voter registration, mandating no-fault absentee ballots, meaning the provision would do away with any witness signature or notarization requirements for absentee ballots. I mean, it's basically a, a, it is a wish list for how to be able to cheat in future elections. Yes, cheat. They have no checks and balances. Now, if you, you want to go see your capital... And you want to get in. You need a photo ID. You want to go to a Democratic National Convention. You need a photo ID. Prevents election from officials from removing even ineligible voters from, from the voting rolls. Or confirming eligibility and qualifications of voters. I mean, it's it would ban all state voter ID laws. You talk about brazen. I mean, this is just... <laughs> Man, let's institutionalize the easiest way to cheat in elections. It ensures illegal immigrants can vote because it would shield non-citizens for prosecution if they are registered to vote automatically. Agencies would not be required to keep records of who declined to affirm their citizenship. Allows same-day voter registration. <laughs> How are you going to have a background check there? Requires registration for those under 18 and states to carry out a plan to increase, you know, people, what are we going to have 15 year olds voting next? What's the, what's the legal drinking age? Prohibits the 
publication of misleading information about elections, a federal crime to communicate or cause to be communicated information that is knowingly false. Well, that could affect them because every two years they say that Republicans are racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, now transphobic, that want dirty air water and want to kill grandma. That would make that that might apply to them. Felons vote. They're going to mandate early voting. You know what? The problem with early voting is that the campaign's not over yet. There could be a last with a weekend before election Tuesday. Maybe you discover a DUI or some other criminal record that had been hidden. That actually happened in 2000, in case you don't remember. Unbelievable. Kind of promotes ballot harvesting by saying the, 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 the states that shall permit a voter to designate any person to return a voted and sealed absentee ballot to the post office. Well, I'm going to drop off 100 ballots, but I'm, I'm just doing it on behalf of my sick neighbor. States are required to accept ballots 10 days after Election Day. Prohibits selection officials from campaigning in federal elections. Then we're going to pay for all this. And it goes on further. Urges D.C. statehood. Requires curbside voting. Mandates that absentee voter boxes be available for 45 days within an election. This is supposed to be Election Day, not Election Months. This is really, really dangerous for the country. Because I want, and I don't want any cheating. I don't want any cheating by Republicans. I don't want any cheating by Democrats. I want a free, fair election. That's it. And we have to know, we have to, I, you should have to prove who you are to be able to vote. We should have signature verification and voter ID. That's the, that's the basics. You need to have chain of custody issues where you have observers from both sides. It's considering the statutory language allows for observers to observe elections, you got to have it. You got to watch the chain of custody. Where do these things end up with? Unbelievable. This so-called COVID relief bill, you, you break it down, $350 billion blue state bailout. That's what that number is. State and local governments. New York's going to get a fortune. You got uh, 570 million 15 weeks paid leave for federal employees. Uh, you got 128 billion dollars for schools. Only five percent of that money is emergency. That's even going to be spent in fiscal year 2021. Four billion for agriculture, and uh, including a billion for socially disadvantaged farmers. I don't know what the criteria is. 50 million in environmental justice grants, 91 million outreach to student loan borrowers, the National Endowment for the Arts and Humanities, they get 270 million, 200 million for the Institute of Museum and Library Services, 10 million for the preservation maintenance of Native American languages. How is any of this considered emergency COVID relief? And the $15 minimum wage did fail in the Senate bill. But it was passed along party lines, 50-49. One Republican, not one Republican voted for the bill. And you did have one Republican apparently had a sick family member that had to leave through no fault of their own. Senate Democrats rejected all the Republican amendments but three. I mean, they basically vote to give 
stimulus checks in this bill to prisoners. I'm not making that up either. Wow. Unbelievable. Rand Paul did block funding for Planned Parenthood through the Paycheck Protection Program. That was one thing that happened. A small, small victory. Um, and that's your modern, this is the beginning of, of socialism. And this is the beginning of American economic decline. How can you say that, Mr. Hannity? Do you want that? No, obviously I don't want that. Because socialism always fails. I don't care the name, whatever manifestation, it, it, whatever form it takes, the promises are mighty. They are promising a cradle to grave, womb to the tomb, utopia. It's been tried many, many times with many different names throughout history, and its history is one of failure. Just like they can't keep cities and towns safe and secure, they failed Democrats in blue states. Just like they have the worst schools run by blue state governors and, and, and Democratic mayors. Just like they fail on that front, just like Obamacare promises failed, so too will this fail. By the way, they have more money for Obamacare than they're throwing in this bill, too. Why not? Let's just flood the zone with as much as we can possibly get. I think they're even anticipating a major loss in 2022. That's why they're pushing so hard on H.R. 1. How do you give, how do you justify emergency relief and only 9% of the money is going to emergency relief? By the way, Democrats that have defended Louis Farrakhan, yeah, he's telling African Americans the COVID vaccine will kill them. It's a vial of death, he says. Woo. Biden COVID stimulus funds will go to illegal immigrants. Fauci is predicting high schoolers will receive coronavirus vaccinations this fall. Students struggling to read behind masks and screens, but expectations are no different, apparently. One year ago today, since Fauci told Americans on 60 Minutes not to wear masks. Now he's talking about double masking. And then he's predicting another major COVID spike despite widespread vaccinations. By the way, Florida beaches are filled with spring breakers. That's not good. That's not necessarily a good idea. The problem with kids is that, listen, they don't, it's not as dangerous overall to younger people that get this. It ends up not being a big deal for them. The problem is then they go home and see mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. That's where the problem comes in. Most, and again, then you have the rare exception where, you know, it could impact anybody. Just like any virus. Right, hour two, Sean Hannity Show, toll-free. Our number is 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of this extravaganza. Got a lot we're covering. We'll update you on whether or not Cuomo can survive as governor of New York. You got the head of both legislative bodies, both Democrats, now saying he should go. And and loudly, uh, as that chorus continues, and our, Cuomo remains arrogant, saying you'll have to impeach me out of office. Uh, those numbers might be attainable if not now in the near future. Now that we have two more people making accusations against Cuomo on top of the investigation into the nursing home uh, death scandal. Uh, anyway, Joe Biden last week refers to the governors of the great state of Texas, Governor Abbott, and the governor of the great state of Mississippi, Tate Reeves, as Neanderthals. Here's what he said. I think it's a big mistake. Look, I hope everybody's realized by now these masks make a difference. We are on the cusp of being able to fundamentally 
change the nature of this disease because of the way in which we were able to get vaccines in people's arms. We've been able to move that all the way up to the end of May to have enough for every American, to get every adult American to get a shot. And the last thing, the last thing we need is the Neanderthal thinking that in the meantime, everything's fine. Take off your mask. Forget it. Well, they don't have the mask mandate in places like Florida with a very high elderly population and the vaccine distribution has gone extraordinarily well there. You have Republican governors, red state governors that have not put in these draconian measures of shutdown. And those states are doing infinitely better than states like New York and New Jersey and Pennsylvania and Michigan and California. It's unbelievable. Anyway, the governor, great state of Mississippi, Tate Reeves, is here to respond to this. Governor, welcome back to the program. Great to have you back on. Thanks, Sean. Always a pleasure to be on with you. Good to, good to hear your voice this afternoon. Now, you defended your decision, and, and for all the right reasons, saying you're lifting the, ma- the mandate because, number one, people need to get back to work and want to get back to work, and two, the numbers don't justify the mandate. You're not telling people not to wear a mask. You're saying that we're not going to mandate it. Well, well, that's exactly right, and these, these far-left liberals want to talk about science and data when the numbers are going up and we should make decisions based upon the data. But then when the numbers are coming down, they want us to completely ignore it. The fact is that our numbers have plummeted over the last month and a half, two months, in large part because there is a vaccine available now because of the uh, Trump administration putting in Operation Warp Speed. We were able to get a vaccine very, very quickly in this country. And because of that, our hospitalizations are down 80%. Our number of patients in ICU beds are down 80%. Our number of patients on ventilators are down even more than 80%. And so while we did not have a statewide mask mandate in place since the summer, we did have some localized mandates, and now we have none because the numbers don't justify it. Well, I mean, that's that's a fair decision. You know, one of the things I don't know, maybe these politicians in D.C. think we're all stupid. I don't know. Uh, But the idea is everybody now understands the importance of wearing a mask in certain situations, right? If you're around anybody that's older, I'd recommend wearing a mask for their benefit, not your benefit. And depending on whether or not you're risk averse or not, you're going to make your own decision. Everybody knows the risks involved wearing masks, social distancing. It's all been beaten into our brains we now have a full understanding where we didn't have it originally it was one year ago today i don't know if you know this governor where fauci told us we didn't need to wear a mask (laughs) well there's no doubt about that sean the fact is they made they came up with some convenient lies because they didn't want uh those of us to that 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 had own decisions to to actually go out and make a decision about masks because they wanted to protect uh, masks for healthcare workers. But if you start off the process by telling convenient lies, eventually people across America are going to quit listening to you. Uh, the reality is that there are a lot of governors around the country that have really gotten in, used to signing these executive orders, orders because they give them extreme power. And for me, I want the power to rest with the people of my state, and I want the power to rest with the people of America because then they can make decisions based upon what they think is in their own self-interest and in the interest of their friends and family. I, am, I assume you're paying close attention to H.R. 1, which would assert the constitutional authority, which mandates that state legislators 
uh, provide the the means and the time and the place of voting in elections and H.R. 1 would remove that and then even make any challenge. They're actually trying to 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 insert a provision that would limit any constitutional challenge to the D.C. district court system, which both you and I know uh, is corrupt and and it's filled with solidly left wing justices. I mean, it's this is madness that they think they can pull this off. Well, you're exactly right, because we do have a, a constitution in the United States, and that constitution allows for individual states to determine how uh, they send their electors, whether it be in a presidential election or uh, in races for, for the U.S. Senate. And, and so it, it bothers me significantly, because when you look at the challenges uh, and the problems we had with the election back in November, I think... It's very clear that if you look at a state like Mississippi, where we do not allow uh, universal uh, mail-in voting, we do not even allow universal early voting, because I believe in the institution of Election Day. And I actually went to, uh, I actually have a new residence now, because I just got elected a year ago. I changed where I vote, and now I vote in our capital city. I went to vote on Election Day, stood in line for an hour and a half to vote, and I was perfectly happy to do so because I believe in that institution of Election Day. Yeah, well, I agree. Now, you've seen this $1.9 trillion uh, blue state bailout bill. Only 9% of money is actually going to COVID emergency relief and and all the other waste, fraud, and abuse in this bill. How How do the great people of Mississippi feel about bailing out states like California, New York, and New Jersey States that are highly taxed uh, with with tax and spend politicians that don't balance budgets or fund their pensions. And a state like New York is going to end up with like 15 billion dollars out of this bill. It's very frustrating to me because I I can remember 10, 15, 20 years ago. um, And and I my background is in economics and finance. So I'm, I'm very much a fiscal conservative. And I can remember 15 years ago thinking, you know, I just really couldn't be for a lot of these spending measures in the Congress because I'm going to saddle my kids with debt. The reality is in 2021, we're no longer talking about saddling our kids with debt. And by the way, my youngest is nine years old. We're talking about saddling their grandkids, my kids' grandkids, with massive amounts of debt, $28 trillion uh, in, in debt in this country. And the Democrats, as one of the first things that they do, after having taken over the House and the Senate and the presidency, is a $1.9 trillion Democrat liberal wish list that has very little to do with COVID. And that is exactly the reason that they had only 50 votes in the Senate to pass it. All Democrats, not one Republican crossed the aisle. And, Sean, this is after last year when President Trump was in office. Every single one of the five coronavirus bills that passed passed with overwhelming bipartisan support because they were focused on helping with COVID, not focused on building this Democrat wish list. And and my kids, grandkids are going to end up having to pay the bill. And that's just horrible. Just an example of that. If this were not intended to bail out blue states, then why did they allocate the resources to state based upon unemployment numbers, not based upon population? And the reason for that is when these states on the West Coast and the East Coast shut down their economies, when they made it impossible for people to go to work, 
when they instituted draconian measures, we know that led to less people working, a slower economy, and more unemployment. And this particular bill not only bails them out, it rewards them for making those bad decisions. How are, how are people at this point now? Are they happy with your decision in your state? I think, I think uh, they're very happy with the decision that I made. I was actually out and about uh, the last couple of days. And, Sean, I was very clear. I said, look, if you are elderly or if you have not been vaccinated and you're going to be around those in the more vulnerable population, I encourage everyone to do the right thing and wear a mask. But that's a choice that you need to make. And the people of Mississippi, I believe, are very pleased uh, by that decision. They have the opportunity uh, to get out and about. And I was out and about this weekend, and, and I ran into a lot of people who were wearing masks and a few people who weren't, and that's perfectly okay. And I'm guessing you're an old Miss fan who can't wait to get back to a football game. <laughs> I'm ready for a lot. I'm ready for college football uh, with big crowds in the stand, no doubt about that. All right, Governor. We appreciate you being with us. If you're a Neanderthal, God only, God, I can't even imagine the description I'm going to get. Um, glad <laughs> things are working out better for the people of Mississippi. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. Let me tell you these. You know, if you're from a red state, think about this. You've elected politicians that are fiscally responsible, that balance their budgets, that fund their pensions, and and you live within your means, and you get more out of your tax dollar than these other states that are fiscally irresponsible, tax and spend, big liberal states, with all the waste, fraud, and abuse, and the worst, you want to know where the worst infrastructure in the country is? New York City, the highest tax state and city combined in the entire country. Dilapidated, falling apart. I mean, now it's not even a safe city, considering they cut a billion dollars from the police budget. You You want to be walking down the streets of New York now? Don't. Stores closed here, their restaurants closed, theater districts closed, everything's done. And now your hard-earned tax dollars now will be transferred to fiscally irresponsible states that mismanage COVID from day one, and you'll be rewarding their irresponsibility. I mean, and those, and again, that's where the money's going to come from. Now you're going to say, well, Hannity, you're going to be a beneficiary, and I'm saying, I don't deserve it. This state doesn't deserve it. It should, this is why not one Republican rightly didn't support it. They shouldn't support it. And if you come from a state and you got a you got a Democrat, West Virginia is a great example. What's going on with Mansion? Why is Mansion supporting this monstrosity? I don't think that he has a good answer for it. Now it looks like he's beginning to buckle on ending the filibuster. After he said the other week, you know, what part of no don't you understand? Well, that didn't last too long. All right, to our busy phones we go. Mary is in the great state of Texas. Mary, hi, how are you? Glad you called. Thank you, Sean. Um, I just think that this Como sexual harassment thing is a stupid, stupid smokescreen to protect and try to not be de- 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 uh, derail from the actual murders that he committed and had uh, the, the, in the retirement homes. I think that the Democrats want to, uh, again, uh, detract from something from him so that they can uh, get rid of him and, uh, you know, just kind of just, he's just kind of the, the, the lamb, the, the sacrificial lamb, so that they can uh, maybe make themselves look better. I, I don't know. 
but also See, I, I think there are two things going on simultaneously because the phenomenon here is this is democrats doing it to a democrat which you rarely see so what's the reason now when exactly. ron kim a democratic state representative spoke out and then the media spoke out and then they both said that he was you know they didn't like the bullying tactics that they'd experienced i think that was cumulative that's my guess i'm just giving you my best guess here then i'm thinking other democrats you don't hear many of them coming to his aid none as a matter of fact and i suspect on a on a more i don't know on a power hungry level that there are plenty of Democrats that want to be president that want him literally rendered unelectable so that he's out of the equation. That, again, I, I'm just g- giving you my best guess because this happens so infrequently when Dems go after each other. Does that make sense to you? Exactly. And then, and then the biggest scheme of all is they want all this going on so that you can't tell what's going on with H H uh, H1 uh, uh laws that they're trying to pass. They want all this stupid, stupid media and publication and publicity and so forth. So, hey, look what's going to Como. And, and let's just go ahead and pass these awful, awful laws in, in, in the Senate and, and, and the legislature. So, yeah, that, that I think, is the biggest uh, smokescreen of all the situation with Como. Yeah. Uh, good insight, though, Mary. You're, I appreciate it. Um but they're not doing it with the same enthusiasm either. Then I, I don't hear the words, I believe. Those are two key words in the whole Kavanaugh case. I believe. I don't hear anybody saying, well, these are serious allegations. We need to be looking into them. A very different posture, very different rhetoric with, a, with far less passion than that which we watched on display in the Kavanaugh case. But that's to be expected, I guess. Anyway, good call. Appreciate it. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Speaking of Cuomo, we'll have more. Michael Goodwin will weigh in. Two more accusers of Cuomo. Does this mean the end for him? We'll analyze that. We'll get to your calls and much more coming up straight ahead as we continue. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Two more women accusing Governor Andrew Cuomo of inappropriate behavior um, with great specificity here and uh, including a former press aide describing having to struggle to free herself from his repeated hugs. A young assistant who now says that he left her feeling like, quote, just a skirt. Former press aide Karen Hinton is her name, enduring a very long, too long, too tight, too intimate embrace from Cuomo, dimly lit uh, Los Angeles hotel room in December of 2000. And anyway, pulling he, he pulls me back for another intimate embrace, she says. I thought at the moment it would lead to a kiss and it could lead to other things. So I just pulled away again and I and I had to leave. That's when he was with the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Anyway, um, this is Cuomo now. I I never meant to make anyone feel uncomfortable. No way I'm resigning. Uh, and he goes on from there. If the question is going to be uh, how many people that I take uh, pictures with, uh, uh, you know, one event at the mansion, uh, there's a line where I take hundreds and hundreds of, of pictures. Uh, but uh, I never, uh, and I don't even think she said it, I never 
uh, meant to make anyone feel unwelcome in any way. Uh, and uh, uh, I know the if customs change, then uh, I'll change uh, the customs and the behaviors. But I never meant to feel make anyone feel any uncomfortable. Uh, there are some legislators who suggest uh, that I resign because of accusations that made uh, are made against me. The I was elected by the people of the state. I wasn't elected by politicians. Uh, I'm not going to resign because of allegations. Uh, the premise of resigning because of allegations. Uh, is actually anti-democratic, uh, and it's we've always done the exact opposite. You know, the system is based on due process uh, and the credibility of the allegation. Anybody has the ability to make an allegation in democracy, and that's great. But it's in the credibility of the allegation. Uh, let the attorney general do the investigation, because that's democracy. Uh, so, uh, no, there is no way I resign. Uh, you also have New York City, which is in a very precarious situation. Uh, it's uh, teetering, to use a word. Crime is way up. Homelessness is way up. Uh, many people have left New York City. Um, Hamptons, Mid-Hudson Valley, other states. Uh, we have to get New York City functional again and safe again and viable again. And we have to do that quickly. We have a new mayor that's going to be selected basically in June, I guess. Something could happen in November, but basically in June. Uh, and that work has to start right away. Now, the state Senate Majority Leader, Andrea Stewart-Cousins, has called for Cuomo to resign. Uh, we also have other top officials, other state legislators joining this chorus, uh, including his nemesis, Comrade Bill de Blasio. The city controller, his name is Scott Stringer, on Sunday joined the chorus of New York Again, mostly Democratic politicians calling for Andrew to resign. And that, that, is the, 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 that is the great, interesting non-story that people aren't really factoring in here. This, this entire effort is led by Democrats. The accusations are coming from people that worked for him. The calls for resignation are by top Democrats. Michael Goodwin is a phenomenal a writer, reporter for the New York Post and a Fox News contributor. And uh, he wrote a great piece entitled Arrogant Andrew Faces a Fall and uh, has a lot to say. Sir, welcome back. How are you? Fine. Thank you, Sean. You know, I love you guys that write because I don't know how the hell you do it every day. I mean, it, it is a lot to come out with really good, great columns. And I thought you made I thought you were really on your game with this. And all throughout the post-election analysis that you were given every day, I thought it was phenomenal. So I haven't had a chance to tell you. Thank you. I quoted you often. Um, what's your take now? Where does this, Where you know, what happens from here? Does he survive? Well, uh, 
thank you. I, I, I believe your setup was exactly right, that uh, uh, you're seeing a rising tide of Democrats in his own party calling for his resignation, including, as you said, the head of the state Senate, uh, the majority leader, and also the assembly speaker, another Democrat, said he shared that sentiment without actually using the word resign. Uh, Cuomo, however, has made it clear that he's not going to resign, and that if they want him to get out, they're going to have to impeach him. Now, the New York State has only ever impeached one governor, uh, and that was more than a century ago. So the machinery is a little creaky. But it uh, mocked, uh, I should say, copies the federal system in that you need a majority in the assembly and uh, for, in effect, uh, an indictment, and you need a two-thirds vote in the state Senate for conviction and removal. And, you know, the numbers are beginning to get closer to where just the people who have called for him to resign have basically, I think, started the clock ticking on impeachment, that if he doesn't listen to them, uh, then they will begin the impeachment proceedings. Now, I don't believe that uh, even if you included all the Republicans in both chambers, Democrats have veto-proof majority in both chambers. I mean, New York is as blue as it gets. Um, and But even if you used all the Republicans, if they get, were to vote yes in both chambers, I still think you're not quite there yet. And because they are Democratic-run chambers, you would have to think that the leaders will want at least a majority of Democrats uh, to support impeachment and conviction. So I think this is a, uh, a moving target here. Uh, I do think the odds of Cuomo surviving are declining because of these statements by the legislative leaders, because of the increasing numbers of women coming out. Uh, and I think there is a kind of fatigue factor. Uh, the governor has tried two different apologies. Now he's getting very combative again, as you played from his m- remarks yesterday. He by the way, you had a good line. It's the sorry, not sorry press conferences. <laughs> yes. And his, uh, his line that allegations should not lead to uh, resignation, they're anti-democratic, but he didn't always believe that. Uh, he called on other officials who had allegations only to resign, including a former state attorney general. When Justice Kavanaugh was in his confirmation hearings, Cuomo said those allegations uh, are serious. He should take a lie detector test. If he won't, he should withdraw. So he's now playing by a different set of rules for himself. And no surprise there, but I don't think people People should be thrown off their game by that. He's going to do whatever he can to survive. But I think, finally, he's going to have to confront these allegations, which he hasn't really done. He sort of danced around it. But he's never said... But what is is the option of confronting? I mean, how do you confront it without an admission? And then on top of that, then he's got this other bigger issue, probably from a legal standpoint, although civilly, I guess there could be ultimately lawsuits filed against him. Uh, but on, on the legal front, this aid of his saying that that they purposely withheld the real nursing home death number for for the reason of preventing the Department of Justice from getting a hold of it. Yes, that is a that's a federal process. Uh 
prosecutors, now it's a potential criminal case in the Eastern District of New York, headquartered in Brooklyn, uh, they are examining that and the way that he withheld the actual number of deaths in nursing homes. Again, he's created all of these problems for himself. Uh, he really was quite untouchable, it looked like. Uh, even though his party is moving to the left, he had enough support in both chambers and among the public. Uh, but he's created for himself these two problems now, two major problems, two investigations. And uh, on the question of, of answering uh, the allegations, uh, he has never sat for a real press conference. What he's done is cherry-pick a few television reporters who have asked him decent questions, but he has not been asked directly, you know, did you kiss Lindsay Boylan, which is one of her charges, without, you know, w without her permission? Just uh, kiss her on the lips in his office in a private meeting. Uh, did you effectively proposition this other woman? And there's some of these things are backed up by documents. There are emails for, in which uh, he compares uh, through one of his aides. He, he tells the secretary, tell Lindsay Boylan, the woman who first made the charges, she reminds me of my former girlfriend. Look her up, only she's the prettier one. Now, can you imagine the governor asking a, a top aide in a government office, you know, look up my former girlfriend. You could be her sister, but you're prettier. Uh, and, and he's always touching her, she says. So these are serious allegations, and I think he's never been confronted because he's never sat down and taken all the press's questions. He, he cherry-picks the, the reporters and the questions. He does not take the questions that he really can't answer, I think. Well, and I thought that it was particularly damning, the CBS interview uh, with Charlotte Bennett, and as much as she was able to corroborate in real time what she had been saying to a friend right after the incident happened, and those text messages were saved, that seemed pretty damning to me. Yes, I mean, and she's the one who actually made a report to the uh to the governor's lawyers, uh, in-house lawyers, uh, about his conduct. And she said she didn't want a further investigation, but that report is existing. And the attorney general, who's going to be doing this investigation through an outside law firm, has told the state to make sure to preserve all these documents. So the governor's idea that he can just kind of keep going, he's, he's putting pressure on legislators not to call for his resignation. He's trying to buy time. Uh, Today, he's at the Javits Center talking about uh, vaccinations, with surrounding himself with some supporters where the press is not allowed in. So he's trying to look busy, look like he's doing the people's business, look like, you know, try to get headlines about something else. Try to get people thinking of you in a different way and, and therefore to minimize this problem, run out the clock, hope that people forget about it, uh, and put off to another day the real reckoning. Well, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Prediction, Michael Goodwin, will he make it? Uh, you know, Sean, last week I would have said very high odds he will. Today I would say very high odds he won't. Wow. And Michael Goodwin has a, a finger on the pulse like no other in uh, New York. Sir, thank you. Always great to have you back on the program. My pleasure. Thank you, Sean. All right. Time for a quick call. As we say hi to, let's see, is it Buck in Texas? Buck, how are you? I'm sorry, Rick in Texas. Rick, how are you? Glad you called. I'm very good, Sean. How are you doing? 
I'm good, sir. Glad you called, sir. Sean, I want to go back to a point that uh, you were talking about, the uh, COVID passports that some of the liberal cities are trying to uh, to enforce. I thought it was the understanding of most liberals that they didn't want identification cards for anybody basically to do anything, especially when it comes to voting. So how does No, that, they just don't want it for out? voting. They want it for everything else. They, if you want to go to the Capitol, you're going to need a picture ID. If you want to... If you want to go to a Democratic National Convention, oh, you're going to get a picture ID. If you want pretty much for everything else, you need it. But for voting, they don't want it. And then they want to make it now. They've added this little caveat that anybody that wants to challenge the constitutionality of this unconstitutional action, you're going to have to go through the very abusively corrupt and biased D.C. Court of Appeals. That sounds about par on just about anything and everything you see the liberals coming up with to this to this point. Yep. And it, it would it would forever render our election system in this country as one lacking integrity and nobody will have confidence in the results moving forward. Um, and mansion wobbling on the filibuster is a little scary. But anyway, Rick, we're paying attention to it. Please get in touch with your senators. Joe Manchin. Well, what does that mean? Well, I'm against against removing the filibuster, but I want to make it harder to do a filibuster. What does that mean? 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program? All right, when we come back, News Roundup, Information Overload Hour, as we check in with Greg Jarrett, Horace Cooper, and much more. Uh, a lot of news we're going to get to on the legal front straight ahead. Right here for our final News Roundup and Information Overload. All right, News Roundup, Information Overload Hour, Sean Hannity Show, toll-free, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program? We have a lot happening today. Um, Haven't really hit it yet, but this is day one of the trial for this officer, the the main officer. The other three officers will be tried separately um, over the, the issue of the death of George Floyd, which we know what the outcome and the result of all of that is. You know, one of the things that you have to watch for, and this always frustrates me, and and I I called it on Ferguson early because I had people on the ground, my people that I trust, that told me very early on that there were going to be eyewitnesses that will be on record. African Americans just happened to be part of the story because people tried to turn this into a racial issue with Michael Brown. Uh, that will confirm and corroborate everything that Darren Wilson said is true. That Michael Brown had reached into the car. That's when the first shot rang out and that he charged Officer Darren Wilson, who's no longer working. And this whole hands up, don't shoot narrative ended up being nothing. I, I had my own sources and contacts in the case of Freddie Gray in Baltimore. And we knew from day one, and I said it. There's not going to be a conviction in that particular case. Now, when you look at a lot of times, a lot of very aggressive state or local attorneys general, it's the expectation game is so high that you would expect, oh, this is going to be a no brainer. Okay, but there's there's certain very specific language in every law in every individual case like for example in this this particular case there was some back and forth specifically on how to charge the officer 
And remember, this this came up a number of times. What is the proper charges? He's charged with second degree murder and second degree manslaughter. He used to face a charge of third degree murder, but the trial judge threw it out last October. He may reinstate it soon because of an appellate court hearing, and that could make a big difference on the sentencing. But even in a jury trial, the ability to get the conviction and and you already know my opinion about how this was. That would require, for example, the defendant, whether or not the defendant was endangering multiple people, not just one. And the judge, Peter Cahill, thought it was multiple people. And case law changed on February 1st, in which a Minneapolis Court of Appeals upheld the third degree murder conviction of a, a man by the name of Muhammad Noor, uh, another fired police officer who was tried for the shooting uh, 911 caller while on duty in the court ruled two to one against the defendant saying multiple charges were not necessary for a charge to stand. And accordingly, Chauvin, in this case, the guy involved in the uh, in the case of George Floyd, they asked the Cahill to reinstate the third degree murder charge. In other words, if you overcharge, you run the risk of dying. Now, don't forget our friend, Dr. Michael Bodden did an independent analysis for the Floyd family. And he came up with a very different opinion as to what caused the death. Now, for example, the the medical examiner listed the cause of death as a cardiopulmonary arrest, complicating law enforcement, subdual restraint and neck compression and concluded the manner of death was homicide. Okay, Michael Bodden, uh, who I've known for a long time and is great at what he does, pointed out the very same thing, too. Now. Yes, there was a presence of drugs in his system at the time. He had arterial sclerosis. He had hypertensive heart disease. He had fentanyl in his system uh, and evidence of recent methamphetamine use. Okay, none of that helped him in that moment. But the pressure on the weakest part of the human anatomy is going to play crucial here. Greg Jarrett has the legal analysis for us. Horace Cooper legal commentator, and also he is the co-chair of the network Project 21, uh, also author of the book, How Trump is Making Black America Great Again. Welcome both of you, both of you to the program. Good so, afternoon. Greg, you always run the risk that these prosecutors, you know, politically ambitious, overcharge. There's an expectation that there's going to be a guilty verdict here. But if they don't charge him, if they overcharge the guy, and then the jury's given instructions... That always and quite often backfires, and they don't get what they want. Well, and it can also confuse the jurors. So if in the end there are three charges, second-degree murder, third-degree murder, as well as uh, second-degree manslaughter, um, you know, then you have a potential problem. And the jurors can get confused on what the meanings are because the meanings are different for each one of them. It looks like that for today the jurors have been sent home and there's an appeal to the Court of Appeals to reinstate the uh, third-degree murder charge. But, you know, in the end, I think your analysis is correct, Sean. It's going to come down to causation. Uh, Did the police officer Chauvin's actions cause Floyd's death? And you do have an argument by the defense, wait a minute, it's altogether likely he died from fentanyl consumption, uh, methamphetamine, and underlying health conditions. And and so that will give the jurors pause. Wait a minute. Was Chauvin the sole cause of death? Was he a substantial 
uh, causal uh, factor in the death, and all of this can be very confusing with three separate charges. Now, that there is this part of me, Horace Cooper, I'm eight years in, in significant, serious, five-day-a-week, hour-and-a-half-a-day martial arts training, and the weakest part of the human anatomy is the neck. If, if, if I were to, in a targeted strike, strike your neck and, and the bottom of your jaw simultaneously, and I hit your carotid artery, and it just it, if it cut the blood for a fraction of a second, and I hit my target, meaning targeted strike, you would go down to your knees immediately because of the blood being cut off. Just that, that slight fraction of a second. And probably if you tried to stand up, you wouldn't be able to. So that amount of pressure on the neck can never happen. And he was handcuffed. That's what frustrated me in this whole case. If anybody knew any simple martial arts moves, you could easily manipulate two fingers of somebody handcuffed. And you will get full compliance. Full compliance without breaking their fingers. So um, I don't disagree with how you've described it broadly. What I'm really more troubled about is how there's been this attempt to isolate away from the actual circumstances that everyone found themselves in to determine whether or not criminality has occurred. Even in your training case, if I came with a full face mask and a knife and went at you and you responded with the the way you described and I had some pre-existing health conditions, and I fell down and collapsed, you would most likely not be charged. It would require the circumstances of how... But the problem is, Horace, he was handcuffed. And, And the amount of pressure was 7 minutes and 46 seconds. We saw the facial abrasions of this guy's face, you know, smashed into the pavement. And I'm telling you that that amount of pressure on the weakest part of the human anatomy is it's a it, it, it I frankly can't even believe he survived as long as he did. I'm being very frank here. Yeah, I, I continue to want us to look at the broad context. If you just simply took a person who was speeding, you put them in the back of your patrol car, and this outcome occurred, we would have a different perspective. The problem is that officers every single day, my cousin put in a 25-year-long career as a law enforcement officer in Houston, and he tells me regularly, Regularly, just because the person was held, constrained, and sitting in the back of the patrol car did not mean that the end of this process of making sure that they got down to the station occurred. I want to make sure people don't violate the the rights and lives of people who are accused, but I also don't want to make a situation where we say to officers, too bad for you, you make the wrong judgment, too bad for you. I believe that we should have had a much better process of assessing what charges needed to occur in this case rather than the pressure from hundreds of millions of dollars worth of damage and fires and protests. That's not how justice is supposed to be determined. What's your take, Greg Jarrett? I I just know what I know about, about the human anatomy. Yeah. Uh, Greg, I'm telling you, if I if I put you in a hold and I put my knee on your neck or if I if you do what's called a rear naked choke, if I if I lock in a real locked in both carotid arteries 
or they also have other chokes you can use. But if, if I did, I guarantee you I can make you pass out on the ground, out cold in 15 seconds or well, less. I, I know you could. And, and look, that would constitute, arguably, uh, both recklessness, depraved indifference, as well as, mm-hmm. as negligence. And those are the key elements of the three charges that were involved here. Look, jurors... And I, you know, I tried cases uh, for a living, and I have covered uh, hundreds and hundreds of cases from the courtroom, and I've always noticed this. Jurors take signals from figures of authority. So here you've not only got Dr. Michael Bodden, who can weigh in uh, about his opinion on the cause of death, but you've got the Hennepin County Medical Examiner, Dr. Andrew Baker, who uh, will say this is homicide. Uh, it was preventable. It was foreseeable. There was bruising in the back of the neck. Uh, and that, you know, the amount of pressure was a principal cause of uh, Floyd's death. And, and I think in the end that will win the day for prosecutors. I cannot tell you which among the three charges. Well, all right, but now let me play devil, devil's advocate, and this is just for the sake of the discussion, because if you look at the autopsy, you've got he suffered car, a cardiac arrest, right, while, yeah. while being restrained. History of arterial sclerosis, right? Hypertensive heart, none of that heart disease. Fentanyl, in his system and evidence of recent meth use. This guy was was walking towards his death at, at some point in the near future, it, just just on those facts alone. But that now the question is, did those things cause? Did they factor in? I don't think it helped him. I don't think there's any doubt about it. But was the was this action alone enough to kill the guy? Juxtapose what you've just said with the compelling and dramatic videotape. Of, That's my point. Of, of the victim uh, saying he can't breathe, uh, you know, begging for his mother, and a police officer, the defendant in this trial, uh, continuing to put pressure on his neck. And I think that, as well as the authority figures who are going to say that, uh, you know, the pressure on the back is what killed him, that will uh, allow prosecutors to win at least one, if not more, of the convictions. All right, stay right there. Greg Jarrett, Horace Cooper, more on the other side. We'll get to your calls on this and everything else we've been discussing today. All right, final thoughts here. Uh, Horace Cooper and Greg Jarrett on the opening day of Derek Chauvin's case on trial in the case of George Floyd and his death, uh, how do you see this going, Horace? Well, I, I think actually we're still looking at an overcharging circumstance. I uh, actually am not um, confident that this third charge is ever going to materialize. I think when it goes up to the state Supreme Court, um, they're going to allow the uh, trial court judge's discretion uh, to continue. And I think that because they're not actually being required to show that this was an intentional outcome, it is going to be a lot harder to get those unbiased jurors, and there may be some biased jurors. So you're saying they may have overcharged here, and that could result in an acquittal? Yes, I am saying that, exactly. Greg? Uh, I I would disagree, because I think the jurors will have choices here. Uh, And the choices uh, go from... Uh, in a reckless behavior to depraved indifference to a neg- negligent actions which caused the death. And I think they'll be able to pick one of those, and I think the videotape supports it. 
And I think, again, the medical examiner's autopsy findings, as well as Dr. Michael Bodden's independent examination, will uh, allow the prosecution to prevail. But the fact that they have choices on charges is critical because in some cases they just pick one and when they go, when they overcharge, you run the risk of losing everything. And that's happened a lot and people's expectations are what they are, correct? Yes, that can happen. But I don't see it here because these are three distinct charges with three levels of proof. Yes, very so, great analysis. Well, I, said, I don't think that third charge is going to come to play, and the other two simply don't require intentionality of a degree as how this case is being presented both to the public and to the jurors. All right, great analysis. Thank you both. Greg Jarrett, Horace Cooper, 800-941-SHAWN. You want to be a part of the program. Uh, all right, when we, take, when we come back, we'll take uh, your calls straight ahead, 800-941-SHAWN, if you want to be a part of the program. We had a great Hannity uh, tonight, set your DVR, 9 Eastern, on the Fox News Channel. Never miss an episode. News you won't get from the media mob and opinions you won't ever hear from the media mob. We'll continue. All right, 25 to the top of the hour. We'll get to your calls here uh, in just a second. One thing you notice about politicians is when the, the passion that they have uh, when, it's, when it's somebody in the other party. I call it the I Believer Caucus. Remember the, the Ch- Ch- Chucky Schumer? I believe he was passionate about it. Goes to the steps of the U.S. Supreme Court. You listen to me, Kavanaugh. You listen to me, Gorsuch. Let's compare that to Chuck Schumer today. I want to tell you, Gorsuch. I want to tell you, Kavanaugh. You have released the whirlwind, and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. You won't know what hit you. Let's listen to him very calmly talking about Cuomo. Look, the allegations that have been made by Ms. Rush and Ms. Boylan and Ms. Bennett are serious, very troubling. These women have to be listened to. I've always believed that sexual harassment is not acceptable, must not be tolerated. Now there's an investigation in the hands of a very, very capable person, the Attorney General of New York State. I supported it and called for it, and now she's doing it. I know the Attorney General will conduct a thorough investigation that will be totally, totally independent without any interference, outside interference, political or otherwise. Well, let's listen to the I Believer Caucus, and you'll hear Chucky's voice in here. And what a difference a party distinction makes. Look, at its root, this is all about the abuse of power. It's all about the abuse of power. Whether it's Harvey Weinstein or the guy who, uh, the plumber who has a secretary he uh, he harasses. It's all about the abuse of power, number one. Number two, women should be believed. First of all, anybody who comes forward at this point um, to, to, to be prepared to testify in the United States Senate against someone who is being nominated to one of the most powerful positions in the United States government, that takes an extraordinary amount of courage. Not only do women like Dr. Ford, who bravely comes forward, need to be heard, but they need to be believed. They need to be believed. Let me just say right at the outset, I believe 
Dr. Ford, I believe the survivor here. There's every reason to believe her. She has come forward courageously and bravely. I believe her. I stand with her. And Do you hope I she shows she, up on Monday? Do you hope that she testifies? I don't think she should be bullied into this scenario where it's a he said, she said. I believe Professor Ford. I think she's credible. And I think when the investigation is finished and when she testifies and Judge Kavanaugh testifies, I think a majority of senators will find her credible. I believe you see the difference? That's swamp. That's sewer. That is, you know, people ask me, you know, I don't understand, Hannity. Why don't you just, you know, there's five people now with Cuomo. I'm, I'm finding them very credible. I mean, I listened very closely to the interview of Charlotte Bennett. And then I saw that she had saved text messages right after the incident happened to one of her friends and described in detail what had just happened. Seemed very credible to me, but you see the, the the difference between who we are as conservatives. We've got to be consistent. Either you believe in due process and presumption of innocence, or you do not, or you just rush to judgment only when it's politically convenient. Now, well, I'm not comfortable being that person. Anyway, let's get to our busy phones. 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the extravaganza. We got Patrick in California, the United Socialist Utopia of California. Well, they're now saying they have acquired enough signatures for the recall effort against Gavin Newsom. Hi, Sean. What's going on, sir? Thanks for having me on. Uh, I've been following... The, the COVID problem all year, like everybody else. I did it with numbers, and I won't get into the numbers. But here's the thing that really irons me. The six Democrat governors politicized the CCP Wuhan virus. They politicized it. And then when Mario Cuomo put those patients, those, those elderly patients, the nursing home patients that went to hospitals and brought them back into the nursing home, it was wildfire. And the amount of deaths. Now, the other five governors that followed him, New Jersey, Illinois, Michigan, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania, they didn't lie about the numbers. They didn't lie and try to obstruct justice. What they did was try to look, make President Trump look bad. They put politics over policy. And, and if they get politically, politically crucified, it's Lent, and that's a good word to use. <laughs> but if they get politically crucified, I'm all for it. The, I'm going to tell you, I mean, the, if you look at the handling of things, Trump built the hospitals, manned the hospitals, provided all the PPE, all the ventilators. Cuomo left them empty. Right. You know, draconian shutdowns. You know, New York City is a very unique situation. In my view, you have the highest, you know, per capita uh, population in the smallest geographical area. It's, it's very unique, very different from other states. But you have other busy cities in Florida. And you compare it to, say, DeSantis, you have the same weather out in California as, as you have in Florida, or ostensibly the same. Draconian shutdowns didn't work in California, and they didn't they didn't use them down in Florida. And DeSantis did much better, as, as did all these red state governors. So it's it's fascinating how, you know, it was a year ago that Anthony Fauci said we don't have to wear masks. That's that's how that, that's how wrong the experts have been from the get-go. That's And it was right around this time when you had Cuomo and de Blasio, we're not like these other countries, we're New Yorkers. 
and we have the best health care service in the world. You know, all that crap. Well, you know what? They weren't ready. Trump got his ass in here and bailed them out and still got the crap beat out of them by everybody in the media. Now here we are, you know, Joe Biden whining about we were putting a million vaccines in people's arms a day before Joe ever got to be president. Now he's got three of them. That was thanks to Donald Trump. I don't think he's ever going to get credit for any of the things that he did. The fact that they left those places empty, I don't know. But yes, they did politicize COVID. Absolutely. You know, I interviewed these authors the other day on TV last Friday. And, you know, they took the, the Biden strategy to run for president was keep your crazy uncle in the basement strategy. And a series of events outside it, I mean, it just is amazing. He never got a tough question. He was in the media mob, big tech candidate protection program. And now we see why they were hiding him and why it worked to his benefit the whole time. We were right. Uh, anyway, to our phones, uh, let's say hi to Debbie's in Kentucky. Debbie, how are you? Glad you called. Hey there, Sean. We love you in Kentucky. Oh, my goodness, we do. Thank you. I love you guys, too. What's going on? Oh. Uh, well, I'll tell you, thank you to the governor of Mississippi, and I want to say that Governor Bashir of Kentucky, he's had us on lockdown for a year now, and we have a supermajority of Republicans in our House and Senate in the state. They passed laws in January to stop his government overreach. He vetoed. We overrode the veto. So now he is sued, and he has his friend, Judge Philip Shepard, who's done many, many favors for him to put an injunction, and that is stopping the people of Kentucky, our, our will, from being done. We want to be free. By the way, and, this, you know, the, what the this life. judge did, you're right, he ordered a temporary injunction last Wednesday blocking the implementation of the three bills passed by the Kentucky General Assembly that limited your governor's power to enact, quote, emergency orders and regulations as it relates to covid and that's likely to be appealed by the Republican leadership in the legislature and the attorney general, who I like a lot, Daniel Cameron, and the Kentucky Supreme Court will probably be the final arbiter. But you're right, because he filed the lawsuit right after the legislature overrode his vetoes. May I say this too, sir, but this judge has helped this man for five years, ever since Governor Bevin was our governor. But the problem is this. He's done that in, at, as of March 31st. If this doesn't get resolved, and our Supreme Court here is also liberal, then we have to wait another year. Another That's unconscionable. We can't do that. We've got over half of our people here that do not have a job. My husband lost his job for a year. He just now started a new position. This has been devastating to us. We cannot. By the way, I'm so sorry. What, is your, what kind of work is your husband in? He's in sales, and he's, yeah. you know, he's in a different income bracket and to be able, and he's 62 now. So this devastated us to mess up our retirement plans. And we have a 15-year-old son. I had my one and only child in midlife. And we're not the only ones. I mean, we, and we have an autistic brother-in-law we take care of, and on and on and on and on and on. We have a lot of responsibilities. But just the mere fact that this, you know, our Supreme Court and this judge, Philip Shepard, one man, two men, the governor and this man, have overridden the will of the people when we have 75 to 25 in our house that are Republican, and 30 to 8 in the Senate in Kentucky, and we screamed loudly what we need. And we need help. We need this judge to be to, to change his mind. Well, it sounds like you and need a new governor to me. 
I mean, based well, we on, you know, the numbers you're talking about in both chambers and in, in your state legislature, um, it's it just is frustrating. They passed overwhelmingly. They want to open the state. But what you're describing is very, very real. And and those states that adopted draconian shutdowns, there are plenty of Debbie's and Debbie's husbands out there whose lives have been upended. And by not working, that means that, okay, now you're living on whatever savings you have, and your husband, he's 62 years old. How many more work years does the guy have in him? I mean, I know a lot of people can work till they're 80, but not everybody. And it, it, gets, it gets very complicated. You got a 15-year-old. I assume you'd like to be able to pay for college or help, right? Um, I'm assuming you probably wanted to, you know, have some money to retire. That might be shot by this point. Um, after a year of not working. I mean, it, life is expensive as hell. It really is for everybody. But I'm telling you, we got to get men and women in this country. You, We're made to produce. I, I, I'm sorry. I know as appealing as it might be to people to think that, oh, I never have to get up and worry about getting up, going to work, putting in my 12, 14 hours. I know people telling me that have retired or people that through no fault of their own lost their work they're dying to get back to being miserable, complaining about work, dying to. They want to complain about working too much. And it's been rough for a lot of people. And, you know, um, I'm just hoping that your your and government, the these politicians don't help. Many of them suck. And it just they're not thinking about people. My focus is on people like you and your husband and your 15 year old and your future and that's why you know you would think a state like kentucky if the state legislature so overwhelmingly votes the people of kentucky are smart they know about social distancing they know about masks and they know the vaccine is out there you're probably your husband is going to get the vaccine if he hasn't gotten it he's, he's probably next on the list being 62 but it doesn't help him if he can't get back out to work these are real lives, right. real people survival we're talking about here. All right, let's get back to our busy, busy phones. Uh, Debbie, we wish you the best. If we could ever help, call us back. I, I hear you. I, re- I hear you loud, and I hear you clearly. Uh, let's say hi to Ger- Gerald. He's in South Carolina. Sir, how are you? Welcome to the program. Good, Sean. How are you doing? I'm good. Glad you called. So uh, early January, I'm a central worker. I haven't slowed down since the pandemic. I've been steadily going. So I had to fly into Canada, and of course, before you get into Canada, you have to have a negative COVID test before you can enter the country. Uh, on the 26th, the CDC issued a, uh, a statement saying that anybody coming back from Canada had to have a COVID test. Well, I have to fly out the 27th, so I had to delay my flight to get a COVID test to be able to get back into my own country. But apparently, if I'm an illegal immigrant, I can just walk right on in with a uh, free handy basket and just ask them to point me to the best state and city to go to. Well, pretty much that's what's happening. I mean, uh, we, 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 we did our investigative reports last week. We're doing some from Arizona this week. There's no social distancing going on down there. There's nobody wearing a mask even in half the videos we have. And, uh, yeah, and then people, you know, we're, now we're getting people testing positive for COVID. And we're getting lectures right. on mask mandates from a president that walks away from a podium, shakes people's hands without his mask on. I, mean, I just, it's unbelievable to me. It's pretty yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. I- 
All right, that's going to wrap things up for today. Great Hannity tonight. News you won't get from the media mob and all the hypocrisy on all levels of government. And now the battle to prevent radicalism from taking complete hold of the country. We'll check in with Don Jr., Kaylee McEnany, Dan Bongino, Dana Lash, Congressman Crenshaw, Miranda Devine, and Mark Morgan. To set your DVR, hope you'll join us tonight, 9 Eastern, on the Fox News Channel. As always, we'll see you tonight, back here tomorrow. Thank you for being with us.